Welcome to another episode of Into Final Thoughts. Before we jump into it, I want to tell you to check out our official partner of this season of Into Final Space, Cartoon Crave. Cartoon Crave is an incredible network and news source for all things animation, including Final Space. To learn more, check them out on Instagram at cartooncrave underscore and at the Cartoon Crave on Twitter. Now, let's get into the episode. Well, it is time for the weekend on this beautiful Friday and the second to last episode of Into Final Thoughts. Uh, it's insane. We're almost here at the end, but thank you for tuning in. I'm Gabe Jones and with me. For Into Final Thoughts. We just do beat poetry corner and just. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one, one and, guy screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, you don't know the etiquette here, <laughs> but uh, we're here to break down episode twelve of Final Space season three, the leaving. Uh, very fitting title for such a heart wrenching episode. Uh, make sure you check out Tuesday's episode from our special premieres this week, where we talked over episode eleven after our drought of into final thoughts. I know you guys have missed us, and make sure you tune in to our live stream of the final episode of Into Final Thoughts tomorrow at Final Space's old Saturday premiere time, ten thirty p.m. Eastern. We will be definitely be on YouTube and maybe some other spots too. So make sure you're following it into Final Space for all the up-to-date info. Uh, but folks, we'll be getting into episode 12 and trying to keep with that episode uh, and try not to spoil anyone who might be you know alternating between the show and the podcast. Uh, we might slip into some stuff. I know we did the last episode, but uh, forgive us. Uh, but let's get into it. Uh, this episode... Uh, has the highest of high notes and the lowest of dark valleys. Uh, this one was really crazy. Uh, let's start off with some good. Uh, so after the kind of rifts that were in last episode, we get some really great teamwork, uh, moments to fix the transdimensional bridge. Uh, what was it like uh, to give us these like really nice moments of camaraderie uh, right before <laughs> it gets a little darker in this episode? Yeah, I think that's, you know... It was it was important. It was important for this kind of episode to kind of um, really kind of have like a, a few happy moments, you know. <laughs> like it's, this episode's kind of, or this season in general is just very, very intense, very emotionally sad, and you know, it, it was nice, to, a nice reprieve um, to get these kind of like little tiny moments beforehand, and uh, it was good. You know, I, I really I, I like this episode, um, and I think that. Uh, you know, there's a few things that, you know, I would have done differently or there are a few things that were actually done differently, but uh, we had to kind of course correct it into, you know, going in this kind of direction. But it, I think it works for for what it is, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, we, we get we get some really fun stuff in this episode. Uh, I think everybody loved the, the callback to Gary's season one, fixing the satellites and uh you know, we've we've talked about a lot this season. The podcast is, uh, you know, making sure the show really has that connective tissue. But this one felt mm-hmm. very, very tight. Uh, I, I know we talked a little bit about this in, in our last lingering thoughts with with June on the last episode, uh, changing out from the Kevin net to to the transdimensional bridge. But uh, what was it like uh, coming to the decision to 
connect these moments uh, as Gary was made for this. Yeah, you know, that was actually a kind of a David thing. Um, you know, he really liked this idea of, of uh, calling back to that moment. And I was down with it, you know, it, yeah. it felt like a, a, a kind of a cool callback. I just wanted it to be a little bit more important. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it, it felt like it wasn't that important with the hyper transdimensional bridge, you know, but it, with the Kevin net, it made more sense to me because it was something that was a weapon. It could destroy potentially this, this threat that's looming against the universe. Yeah. And that felt like, oh, man, that's that kind of cool thing that he was, you know, fiddling around with on those satellites. And those satellites <laughs> were, you know, kind of like the the activation point for it, you know. Um, and it made it made sense, you know, for the most part. It just felt like the hyper transdimensional bridge, like, OK, you know, I guess it's a thing that ends up saving him to a degree, you know, <laughs> that he just kind of goes home. But, yeah, I don't know. It, I mean, it. it it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, you hope that it plays for the most part. And it was kind of cool kind of trying to to look back at the satellites of uh, season one and trying to connect that with here. And it was it was cool, you know. Yeah, I think uh, one of my one of my favorite bots that has popped up uh, from from the Final Space fandom on Twitter is uh, is it still Thursday, Hugh? Uh, that goes up every Thursday with that scene oh, yeah. from, from season one. Um, but yeah, and then we had some some really great uh, other fun moments in this episode. Uh, we had Gary and Quinn, well, you know, creating the most liked Final Space clip on Adult Swim's YouTube. Um, <laughs> Ash making up with uh, with Quinn some, and uh, and little Kado bonding some with with uh, with Cheryl, his his adopted grandmother. Uh, what do you think of of these scenes right here at the the start of the episode? Yeah, this was something that that this was kind of like a scene that I wrote um, that I really liked. And I was what I was trying to do um, in this particular scene was spotlight and kind of foreshadow uh, little Kato kind of basically um, addressing the whole, you know, time shard. Yeah. Um, Cause that was supposed to happen in like yeah. 313. Yeah. I was going to say, you actually, you tagged me on Twitter uh, that we were supposed to talk about this on this episode of the podcast, you know, the, yeah. the cut for time, other side trauma uh, scene. So yeah, feel free to dive into that it's, as well. You know, and, and this is all happens like in the, in the 313 of it all. Cause it, it felt like, you know, I, what I wanted to do was kind of like foreshadow it a little bit that this is something that it's still, a very painful experience that he just doesn't want to talk about. Yeah. He's just moved past it. And that's something that I can totally relate to. You know, you don't, you know, sometimes you just don't want to open up that and you just want to keep moving forward. And in that process, you don't really address all of the things that have happened. You're just kind of moving, you're moving past it. And the, and the wound is healing. It's yeah. still an open wound. And I really love that, um, that dialogue that I, I kind of was just kind of writing and it, it was kind of goofy, but at the same time, Stephen did it with such earnesty or earnest. It was just a very earnest way that he read the line that, you know, it it came off a little emotional too, where it's like yeah. just a, little, a pain spot, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what it is. It That's what it felt like to me, you know, whenever you have something that's really painful, it's just a little spot of pain. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of how I would describe it. And some people want to talk about it. Other people aren't ready to talk yeah. about it. And I don't think little Kata was ready. And 
I think, you know, it was also kind of nice to kind of correct a little era in season two where, you know, the whole age thing, you know, so we kind of came up with a joke of like, why he still says 14 (laughs) (laughs) for sake of birthdays. You know, it's like, it was nice to do that. It was nice to kind of like foreshadow it. And you really got uh, a little glimpse that it was still a very big open wound for him. So yeah, that's pretty much it, you know, for, for three twelve as far as like what I was going to do uh, with that, you know, that scene didn't really change. It was just three thirteen. There was a sequence, <laughs> you know, like it just kind of got, yeah. got ripped out. Yeah, it's, well, it's fine. we'll definitely cover that one. Cause uh, I think we're, we're holding out for the international audience to uh, get a certain radio play uh, coming up here at some point. Um, but yeah, so we also get to, uh, uh, a little bit of little Kato learning about uh, Apricot from from Avocado. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us any more about this character? Is this just still hush hush for now? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's. I think what you, um, what you got was, you know, I think it felt like it was the truth from Avocado. You know, yeah. and a lot of the times I feel like, kind of how I wrote it. This is kind of how I wrote it. You know. Um, was just the feeling that he was talking about what he was going through with his kid, you know, um, and not necessarily little Cotto's yeah. brother could, but it still came off as a lie, you know? Sure. Um, so it's like, it's definitely one of those things that you could look at it at every which way, you know? And I think, you know, that's how I kind of mentally in, in my head, at least kind of thought about it where he was kind of telling something that was true, but at the same time lying. And I could see how somebody could also look at it as like, no, he's just kind of straight up lying. He killed, you know, his, his mom, you know, like he (laughs) straight up killed it and he's just coming up with a big frigging lie. But the way that Cote did it, and this is why it makes me, you know, when I was thinking about it, the way that Cote read it, it felt like it was very honest, you know? So it kind of, you know, started to make me think like, maybe he was kind of telling the truth about something, you know? So I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that the actors, sometimes the actors just put their own version of it in there. And same with little Kato talking about the pain spot that was supposed to be kind of more of a joke, but he did it with such like, you know, the, the, the earnesty of that. And he came off very kind of emotional. Like you felt like there was something else there. And I was like, man, that's perfect. You know, like it's, it's, it's sometimes the actor just like can take something and just elevate it. And when Cote says that line, it feels like if it really feels like, and it, even the acting that, you know, Jamfield did to it, it feels like it's honest. It feels like it's something that he's talking about. That's, that's real. But at the same time, he's straight up lying to little Kato again. So however that is, however you want to interpret it, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, that was kind of the the end to, to the good of this episode as we kind of had it all fall apart after the the bridge failing. Uh, and, you know, we've we, we went through this whole episode of, uh, of 11 kind of punches thrown at him. And then we finally have what looks like maybe a success here, you know, finding the bridge and then everything falls apart. Uh, I want to start with with Avocado finally deciding that, you know, this is the this is the moment he needs to reveal the truth to little Kato, um, as they're as they're about to die. You know, it's uh, come down to the wire. So, what what, is, what does this tell us about about Avocado as a character? Yeah, I think that his um, 
there's a lot of people, you know, that always kind of say like, you know, I wish I would have said that, um, before that person died, yeah. you know, I hear that all the time, man. Like you, you, you get that sense of regret. And I think that what you're feeling is avocado doesn't want that regret. You know, he doesn't want that guilt. He wants to kind of come clean. And sometimes that's like the best thing that you can do to kind of start the healing process. And I think that if, if little Kato has a little bit of an open wound, I mean, avocado has a massive one, you know, <laughs> and it's, and it's not kind of healing and he's just kind of, he's moved past it and he hasn't addressed it. And he's kind yeah. of uh, dealing with that kind of guilt in a way that he's like, look, if we're going to die, I got, I, I have to, you know, like yeah. he just has to. Yeah. Like there's no other, there was no, no other explanation for it. And then he's just, he's just got to do it, you know? Cause if, if this is it, he can't die knowing that he never told little Kato. And I think that's like, you got to feel that amount of guilt. I don't know if anybody's ever felt that before. Um, but sometimes you just want to say it, dude. You just want to like yeah. actually speak the words and it's, you know, then you're just free of it. And I think what he's, he's wanting to kind of, making amends that's that's what it felt like to me yeah yeah and uh Cote's performance there you know just his delivery of those lines i think really kind of put that forward yeah um, but yeah i mean we get kind of you know the idea of just how much of a a broken family they are we have uh of ash trying to take little kato here at the end of the episode um can you kind of i mean we're we're coming right here at the end of the season and you know one of the other things we talked about is, is the whole, I think, I think three of the, the main topics we talked about and we'll hit these again on 13. Cause I really want to kind of bring them to a wrap, but one of them I want to talk about here specifically is the, uh, the family dynamic of, mm. uh, this found family. Uh, where, where are we right here at the, at the end of season three? What, how, how is our, how's our family fitting together or, or not fitting together? Yeah, I think you're, you're starting to see, um, kind of the cracks in it. And, and I think that, uh, it was always something that was like a long time coming, you know, like they, they are pretty much a, a found family, but I think that, you know, this was kind of the whole Invictus plan from the beginning of just kind of breaking apart from the inside out. And if you can put doubt into somebody's head, you know, actually like implant that, that's like one of the most powerful things that you can like inception into somebody's brain. You know, because the moment they start doubting something, it doesn't really go away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. If, if you if you believe something is right and you believe it with all your heart and you believe that you're kind of, you know, the hero of your own story and kind of stuff like that. But the moment doubt enters your head, that's like it throws everything off balance. You know, like you don't like doubt is is very powerful, you know. Um, you can, if you plant a little bit of doubt into somebody, it could literally make them shut down. You know, like, like if, if, if you go to like the, let's say just the gym for an example, you know, just like a terrible one example, <laughs> like awful. If you, if you have somebody there saying you can do this, get up there and, and do, uh, I don't know, 10 reps of, of, of a bicep curl or a chest press, whatever it is. And they are constantly saying, you got this, man, you got this, do it, do it. They will, they will do it. I promise you. But if you have somebody who says, man, I'm not sure you can do that. You know, like, yeah. I mean, you're, you're not going to do this. Right. You know, like, or 
it's like, maybe you should just give up, you know, like you, when you, when you start getting that, like those tiny little, you know, inceptions of doubt, it kind of really starts to mess with your head. And I think that's kind of what you're starting to see with Ash is that she is starting to get that doubt. Yeah. You know, and, and it was an inception by Invictus. And I think that's a really powerful thing, whether or not you want to believe that's, you know, corruption or coercion or whatever it is, it's powerful, you know, and I think that power of influence, you know, anybody can have. Sure, and I think sure. that you're starting to see um, a little bit of doubt in everybody, you know, like yeah. it's starting to kind of emerge. It's like, maybe we we're not going to succeed here. Maybe we're not going to win, you know? And, and I think that's, you know, a powerful feeling to kind of, you know, address. And I yeah. think you're, you're seeing it with Ash and when she takes little Kato, I think she believes in her heart that what she is doing is the right thing, that she needs to get little Kato away from these people. Yeah. Because they are evil, you know? Yeah. And she believes that in her heart to be the right thing. And I think that with Avocado, Gary, and all of them, I think you're having um, basically having to address someone who no longer believes in you, you know? And that's a really hard thing to kind of convince somebody when somebody does not believe in you anymore, that you are right, that everything that you say is a lie and everything that you are trying to do is, is wrong. Good luck. Good luck. I've seen that, you know, I see that in real life, you know, like you, like if there's ever been a time where you've had a, a friend that basically has kind of like turned their back on you and, and started to kind of, you know, talk crap and they just don't believe in you anymore. Like that's a really, hard thing to convince them, you know? Yeah. And I, that's what I think you're kind of seeing in this moment is in, in this kind of, you're encapsulate the feeling. It's like this person no longer believes that these people are right. Little Kato is just in a complete state of confusion. His world is teetering on this thing that is about to just collapse in his own personal, you know, being like, he's, he doesn't know what he just, he, he's still processing it. You know what I mean? He, he didn't even get a chance to kind of really let it soak in for a second. Like, he, you know what I mean? And that's like a, a really vulnerable spot for somebody to be in. And I think he really wants to kind of figure out what is going on. But you, it, I mean, the whole thing is just kind of like the dominoes are crashing down, you know, like, and I think that's the feeling that we wanted to, to have come out in this particular scene um, is just to feel like, Oh my God, what, what is happening? You know, like what, what is going on? And yeah, I think it's, it's, it, you know, I think we, we did that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ending on probably the <laughs> most heartbreaking performance. I think Steven Young's given is uh, the, no, no, I don't no. want to go ash. No, 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 no. I got the most. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have it lingering, man. The secret drive just hidden away. It. Somebody, uh, the people, people got to hear that, that performance alone. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, dude. It like he. I mean, he's Academy Award winning actor, like yeah. or, or nominee. Like you should. I mean, he's a powerhouse of yeah. an actor, and he brought it in this like the first kind of go through of 313 and he did it in the even the current version but there were some lines in, in this 
And this original version of 313 that you're just like, oh my God, if we would have gotten that animated, if it, if it would have gotten out of the, the kind of the animatic phase and actually been animated, you would have saw some performances that it just, you just don't see, man. You just don't see it. Yeah. And it's, think, it's powerful. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think 12 is a, a, a good show of, you know, what, what final space does best. You know, it's, it's, it's 21 minutes. It's just short, sweet, and to the point with just these really just hits, these emotional hits um, that, I mean, <laughs> this, uh, I, I'd say this episode probably left me closest to crying apart from 13. And uh, it, yeah. it comes down to, I mean, beautiful artwork on, on the, on the side of both, uh, you know, Shadow Machine and Jamfield. And I mean, and you guys, I mean, the, the cast of the show does an exceptional job uh, and what they do, every single one of you. Uh, so, yeah, kudos to, to Stephen Young because wow, uh, and and, yeah. and to all of you. I mean, I, I just gotta say, you guys, you guys do an exceptional job. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. And uh, and yeah, so we we get to discuss that super emotional episode tomorrow, which is super exciting. Thirteen. Listen in uh, at ten thirty p.m. Eastern. Uh, definitely on YouTube, where we hit the season finale of Final Space. It's going to be very, very good. Uh, just like the lingering thoughts, which comes right on after this episode, after these last few bits of info for you. Uh, make sure you're following at Final Space and at Into Final Space, as well as Gabriel W. Jones and at Owen Rogers on Instagram and Twitter. Like, subscribe, and comment on this YouTube video uh, if that's where you're listening at the moment. If not, make sure you're following the show wherever you podcast and throw us five stars on apple it helps a lot uh and that's it for this one uh into final lingering thoughts is coming to you right now uh so for olin rogers and myself thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on into final space thanks guys thanks Thanks for holding on and tuning in to our second Into Final Lingering Thoughts. Uh, we have fans enter online and randomly selected three to join us on these last few episodes of Into Final Thoughts to ask any lingering questions to the man himself, Olin Rogers. Uh, I'd like to welcome today's fan, Brooke. Uh, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about why you love Final Space. Oh, we're doing this now? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'll throw you right I, to I deep I thought end. you guys were going to talk. <laughs> nope, it's, uh, it's all you. Tell us why you like Final Space. Oh, okay. Alrighty then. Hey there, Gabe, Olin, and all you fan Trek teens out there listening. My name's Brooke, and I'm personally a huge fan of television animation. The first time I watched Final Space was during the hiatus of seasons one and two. As an animation fan, the first thing I look for in any show is its flair, being how original a program is compared to others. And my goodness, Final Space wouldn't be a show I hold so close to my heart if it wasn't for its drastic flair. Most fans think of Final Space's drastic flair as the show's emotional moments, and although that's a really big part of it, what really got me personally interested in the show was its comedy. When most adult animation at the time used crude and innuendo-based comedy for laughs, Final Space delivers a comedy I can't exactly pinpoint because it's so far out there in the best way. Some moments such as Gary dancing in the hallway when Quinn doesn't recognize him, the ongoing pigeon joke, the sex stuff line from Conan O'Brien, and literally everything that comes out of Tribor's mouth. These are the jokes no other show could manage to make funny because Final Space delivers, ev ev because Final Space delivers everything using a specific flair. 
I see Final Space as a show that's trying to make a difference within the industry. And when you put a whole lot of heart into making a positive difference in people's lives, then you have my utmost respect. Dang, that was far more well-spoken than Nim and I on the show. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Uh, Brooke, Babe, you're out of the job. Get I out of here. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and log off. <laughs> but yeah, Brooke, we're, uh, we're super excited to have you on Lingering Thoughts. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, you've got three questions to hit. Go ahead, throw your first one at Olin Rogers. Yes, I got three questions. I try to go from least complex to most complex. <laughs> yeah. All right. Question number one. You said on social media that the little Kato royalty arc wasn't planned until the writing process of season two. That being said, at this point in the show's run, which arcs were planned since the beginning of the show and which arcs were planned while during the writing process? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's it's in the writing process, everything is evolving at a season to by season basis. You know, you, you can plan some ahead and you there's some that um will actually change you know but it's it's a very much evolving process there's some things you know uh as far as you know there's one thing that i i've always wanted only wanted one one mooncake you know and that that's been since the beginning you know one mooncake is special i've always wanted that that will never change uh kind of the um i think the the big thing about season one is it played so much like a movie that it felt very definite it felt like you got everything encapsulated in that season one once you sort of got you got into season two there needed to be more story so you had to kind of think even you know further into these characters and this is kind of how most tv shows even do it you know they don't really have the ability to think so far ahead a because you don't know if it's going to get picked up b your writers are only hired for that first season and it gets really awkward with guild stuff and all that stuff. If you're starting to brainstorm other ideas for other seasons. So you, you're kind of, you know, forced to kind of think of these ideas and write them down and, you know, they might change, they might not change the, the avocado thing. You know, I always kind of wanted to, to really dive into his, his guilt and his, you know, his kind of war crimes since, season one that's actually been a season one thing and you kind of see a little bit of it in episode six when avocado starts to tell gary and you see him destroying all these ships like it's something that it was always an interesting story point um but the little kato thing that was kind of a a very kind of later in the 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 show's run um i think another thing that was that was kind of that I've been fighting against, you know, with this is me and David always see different, uh, you know, on not really eye to eye on this particular thing, but Quinn kind of becoming nightfall. Um, I like the idea of Quinn being her kind of own person and, you know, being a, uh, just Quinn, you know, like I, I always like that, you know, I like that the two separate characters and they really are two separate characters. And David really likes the idea of, you know, Quinn becoming Nightfall. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it's always a compromise in the, in the story process, but it's always evolving. So hope that answered it. All right. Um, wait, did you say that writers are only brought in for a season of a show? Yes. That's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. So basically like when you hire a writer, 
you know, you'll, you'll meet up with them. You'll talk to them. You'll see if they really jive with, you know, what you're wanting to do and the stories that you're wanting to tell. And a lot of the times they have experience, you know, um, so some of them don't even have experience, you know, they come in and they, they've written one script or they've done comic books or whatever it is, but they have, you only really hire the writers for, you know, for our budget, we only had the writers for two to three months. Um, and that's not a lot of time, you know, typically, you know, that you can't write all the scripts in that amount of time. So David and I are writing probably more, um, since we're at, uh, for the whole production, we're writing from, I mean, beginning to, to literally the very end of the show. So, so almost like yeah. a whole year, we're yeah. constantly tweaking, writing, punching up. It's like, we're, we're always on it, but the writers, they're not on for the whole production and they only are, have that job for two to three months and then they go off to the next job. And so you might get some of them back for the next season, but a lot of the times they're off on the next thing or they're, or they sold a show or, you know, so you, it's always hard to get those writers back sometimes, but sometimes you can. Yeah. That's incredibly interesting. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Brooke, your second yes. question. Question number two. To me, the use of technology is an important factor in establishing the setting of a movie or a show. Throughout the series so far, the only sources of technology we've seen are weapons or vehicles, making it difficult to establish the time period of the show. So I have to know, when does Final Space take place? Yeah, you know, we don't ever have like a definitive year, you know, of, of when it takes place. We just know it happens in the, you know the very, very far future. You know, it's the same thing like Star Wars. You don't really know exactly the exact date, you know, when you're watching those things. And, yeah. you know, something that I always really liked um, in the show is I always told the, like Devo, the art director, I said, if you can buy it in Target, it, you don't need to put it in the show, you know? And there's a lot of the times, and I and I always bump on stuff like this, and it was kind of a rule that just kind of stuck. But I always, I you know, I love Futurama, but I always hated how like it was in the future, but there were still things like today that were like in there. And it's like I just like, you know, when you're immersed into a world like Star Wars or even you know, um, a lot of sci-fi stuff like Star Trek and stuff like that. It's they kind of make their own version of that. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's something that I, I tried to make sure that uh, the, the art people came in and it went down to the most basic thing as a cup to all the way to, you know, a chair, you know what I mean? And it's like, it, it could not look like it was from target. And so they would design something that made it feel like very futuristic. So that kind of aids into the idea of like, you know, when was it? Cause it's like, it's not in the near future. It's definitely in the, in the future, you know? So I don't really have an exact date, <laughs> but, the, but that's what I'll say. Yeah. I had a feeling it took place in the distant future. I was very curious about when exactly though. So that's very good to know. Yeah. And uh, Brooke, your final question. My final question, going back to season two, episode seven's the first time they've met, Nightfall shares the story on how she met her Gary. Nightfall's backstory reveals a Gary with an occupation almost opposite to the one we know as her Gary's part of the Infinity Guard. Nightfall and her Gary first meet on the sidewalk sharing a small talk with Nightfall, then inviting Gary to get a drink with her. This action immediately erases everything from our Gary's timeline. 
Because Nightfall and Gary went to the bar together, Nightfall slash Quinn had no intention to scribble on the napkin that gave the Infinity Guard the answer to opening final space, being the whole purpose as to why our Quinn and Gary teamed up in the first place, eventually leading to Quinn's departure into final space. Plus, because Gary went with Nightfall into the bar, he didn't feel the need to impress her, undoing his act of blowing up 92 Imperium cruiser ships in a small family-owned restaurant, meaning Nightfall's Gary wouldn't have had his imprisonment or neither met Mooncake and Avocado, aka the two things making him a target of the Lord Commander. With Nightfall's backstory erasing everything about our universe that led to the journey from closing the bridge to now, how does Nightfall's story add up to her goals throughout the series? Yeah. What a question. You know, I think it's, it's anytime that you're dealing with time travel, um, there's always kind of like the rules that are set in place back to, you know, back to the future days to the minority report and all these different things, you know, like there's, there's always kind of like everybody's iteration of what they think time travel is. And, and they try to make it as, is uh <laughs> foolproof as possible and it and nobody can ever get it foolproof you know but what the one thing i'll say is that you know from what it sounds like you're saying is that because of nightfall's gary um he didn't experience the, th- the same things as our gary so in that process he didn't meet mooncake avocado and it didn't start the whole events that started place in the present day show version of how things escalated. And the thing that we kind of always, you know, had fun with is that, you know, if you remember back in Bolo's mind, there's so many different iterations of Gary. There's cookie head Gary. There's, <laughs> there's the EO head Gary. There's, there's tons of different iterations. So there's also the, the multiverse side of it. And there's also the time travel side of it. So what Nightfall is actually doing is she's going back in time, trying to correct a mistake that's been made in you know basically this this timeline and what we're trying to say and this is how i always saw it is that the events that took place there's certain events that always happen no matter what it's just destiny and however they happen mooncake is always meant to find gary avocado is always meant to find you know mooncake and gary it, the events are always meant to happen a certain way And that's kind of what you get a little bit at the end of, you know, this season when, you know, Quinn kind of becomes nightfall is that we're kind of saying, Hey, you know, all these events are, are kind of, there's destiny involved, you know, and what you have is you have certain things, certain touch points that will always happen. So in Quinn and nightfalls storyline, when she meets Gary, who is in part of the infinity guard somewhere in their storyline, he found mooncake and thus sent avocado and thus the Lord commander and thus everything kind of goes about the same kind of way, except he goes into the breach. And so you have this thing where nightfall and now is like, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to correct this. And every time she corrects it, something changes in that timeline, but it, the same events keep occurring. She meets Gary meets mooncake, you know, and thus when he meets mooncake, he tries to, you know, drop Mooncake off at, you know, Yarno, which thus, you know, Nightfall's trying to, there's all these things that are like happening relatively the same way. That's essentially what we're trying to say in this thing is that she's trying to correct it. And each time she corrects it, it there's still certain things that are happening and the outcome is the same, but the, the events in the middle vary. 
essentially, if that helps. Yeah, would you would you really say maybe that Mooncake met Gary different ways throughout the all the oh, time? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like that's just the one time that Mooncake met him uh, in that version in the present day when he was out, you know, sitting on the satellite. But yeah, absolutely, he he would meet Gary in multiple different ways. You know, but that's the that's the destiny kind of you know nexus point is that they will always meet no matter what. It's just that's just a part of the that timeline, you know, and what, what Nightfall's trying to correct is that she's trying to figure out why is the outcome basically equaling the same thing, which is Gary kind of dying and going off into final space. So she's trying to figure out what is that point. And then finally, and, you know, we see that in the, in season one, she's like, it's mooncake. Like, I got just, I just got to kill mooncake. <laughs> you know, like she's trying to figure out what it is. And for whatever reason, it's, she's, you know, hasn't been able to find it. And this is like the last time where she's like, you know what, we're just going to see what happens, you know? And I think when Gary stays, it, it, it shows her, it's like, you know what, this is, this is probably it. This is probably the last time around, you know? Um, but yeah, exactly. It, Mooncake meets Gary in tons of different ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Thank you for joining us with those great questions, Brooke. And thank you for being a fan of the podcast and the show and for coming on to Into Fun and Lingering Thoughts. And thank you for tuning in after this episode to listen in. We'll see you next time, Fanjaxians. Awesome.